We're coming up in two weeks' time for our powerhouse conference. Cannot wait. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I cannot wait. Uh, it's going to be incredible. Uh, we, we are hiring in, just as a teaser, stadium seating just for the conference because we want to we want to just we're going to get it this year later on but we we thought we'd hire in um just some some stages sort of that you will put our chairs on just as a little so if you if you've got your set seat in church it might not be here at power it might be somewhere else okay so just i know how people in their chairs can be okay and and your section you might have to spend the first meeting recreating your little god space where you and god meet that's actually okay all right that's just that's okay so i thought josh is like well we warn them like we better warn everyone i know how people in their seats can be so there'll be like some strips around the outside and you know about a couple of hundred chairs on those stadium seating so uh, but but aside from that i really just felt like the lord said to me about powerhouse conference uh some of you are going to get your mojo back your spiritual mojo. Some of you, you've lost, you've lost your edge, and you're going to get your edge back. You've, you've lost your, you, you just, you're kind of just in drifting mode, not a real sense of vision or purpose. And God is going to get it back to you. Uh, how do you know if you've lost your mojo? Well, probably you don't really want to come. You're like, oh, I'll just go to a session or two, I suppose. That's, that's the sign that I need to be immersed so that I've got my fire and my passion and my zeal back. And so from Thursday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night for the first time for 10 years, we're doing Saturday night, and then afternoon session. So you can sleep in or you can go to work, get off work at lunch, and one uh, Friday and one to four Saturday, it's going to be incredible. Great kids program. Make sure you register. Who's coming to Powerhouse Conference? You're going to love it. I'm telling you. You're you're going to love it. All right. I want to uh, share a message today. And uh, today is the beginning of term three for our groups. I know kids are going back to school this week. Anyone happy about that? Uh, more enthusiasm from, from parents and kids at this point, but that's okay. Uh, uh, so as we kick off term three, we, we kick off our groups for term three. A lot of groups continue to meet. And right now, uh, I want to share this message. It's not specifically about groups. But it flows into groups, and it's really about a New Testament and a Bible culture, a culture that you find all the way through the Bible. And the topic of the title of my message is the power of the table. The power of the table. Okay, it's not so much the table itself, but what the table represents. Uh, Danielle and I grew up, both of us, in churches, uh, in churches and in families that prioritized meals around the table. Uh, we, a lot of my growing up memories, many of them in terms of family, were sitting around the table having conversations or after dinner. I grew up in a great Christian home. After dinner, just discussions and conversations we'd have and we'd pray for different people. And I, I remember tablecloths. I don't know about you, but I remember the, the special tablecloths that we had that would come out for a party. So we had an, a bright orange one that would come out for a party. After a while, it became normal. Then it became the everyday tablecloth. It was a special one, then an everyday one, and then, then it became rags. It's a little bit like my T-shirts. They start special, then everyday, then rags. Then anyway, we had that. And, and, and so I remember these moments. And the same with Dan's family. They would, uh, we, they would have people who, who didn't necessarily have family or somewhere to go would come 
come and be included in our family dinners and different times. And so this, this upbringing, which was a little bit normal back in the day, has, has kind of been lost to a degree. But I want to resurrect the power of the table because I believe it's a biblical principle. It's not an optional extra, but it's a biblical principle for you and I. Right through the Old Testament, we find that in moments, even Abraham entertained strangers who turned out to be angels. And the New Testament says, uh, you might be entertaining angels when you're, when you're entertaining strangers. That's a radical thought. And so in the New Testament, it was a command. It was a pattern that there would be a shared hospitality in one another's homes. It was, it was the pattern of the early day church. And I believe for us as a church, it's a, we need to make sure that the pattern for our church is not just some good ideas or the latest trends, but they're immersed and earthed in Bible trends and what God has designed us to be. If we go to the book of Acts, when the church is birthed, 3,000 people are saved in a day. And within the, the next few weeks, they're, they're, they're meeting together for prayer, for communion, for fellowship, and for the apostles' teaching. Amazing miracles are happening. There's a radical generosity and sacrificial love to one another. And then in verse 46 of Acts 2, we find this scripture. It says they daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. That's a that's a meal that where they would share and remember what Jesus had done. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. This is the pattern of the New Testament church. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. It was, such an, it was such an important practice of the New Testament church that it was one of the, the number one criteria when you would be choosing a spiritual leader or an elder. They said that they must be given to hospitality. They must be renowned for hospitality. And when the Bible uses the word hospitality, uh, the, the word and the phrase is the, um, the, the entertainment or the hospitality of strangers, not just your best friends, but those who you don't know. So leaders and elders had to be known as people who would open their homes up for hospitality. Now, over the years, what we do in terms of relationships have changed in terms of meals. I found this, uh, what's, what was dinner in the 1950s compared to what was dinner now? Now, some of you grew up in the 50s, and it sounds remarkably like my house uh, it, it, when I grew up. In the, in the 1950s, you'd eat roasts, steak, chops, and sausages, and potatoes, and everybody said amen. Uh, peas or beans and carrots, jelly and cream, and canned fruit with cream or ice cream. That was the 50s and the 70s for me growing up. Now, dinner in the 2000s has changed a little bit. Now in the 2000s, we have pasta with sauce or pasta with sauce. We have chicken and vegetables or vegetable stir fry as a thing. Uh, main meals and with salads such as lentils, beetroot, pumpkin, spinach, and feta. Some of you are salivating right now. Some of you are like, give me meat and potatoes. Uh, boiled rice or noodles, yogurt or yogurt, depending where you're from, sticky date pudding, or premium ice cream. If you're going to have ice cream, premium. That's, that's the 2000s. That's, that's the culture we live in. I like a little bit of a hybrid of both. This idea of sacred hospitality. Now, many of us when, as soon as we hear the idea of the power of the table and sacred hospitality, automatically excuses start to go through our mind. 
like, oh, I've been to their house. If you've been to someone's house who's got the gift of hospitality, if you've been to Sharon Dimon's house at Ian Dimon and you sat down and there's five course meals come out and the candles and this is just, oh, you're like, I'm never entertaining anybody ever again in my life. She's so amazing. Now I want you, I, I want to just, let's get real. The excuses are out there. I, I don't have the gift of hospitality. Uh, I don't have enough time. I'm too tired. I've got little kids. I don't have enough money to do this. I don't have a nice house. I don't live in my own house. I don't have nice furniture. I don't have enough room. I'm not a very good cook. Can I just ask you right now to shelve all those excuses? Just just put them to the side right now and go, all right, I'm going to put that to the side so they don't become a blockage to hearing the Word of God this morning. Otherwise, there will be a continued good point not for me. Good point, not for me. Good point, not for me. Little kids, good point, not for I don't want you to go there. Let's open up our heart and mind to the Word of God and go from here. Turn to your neighbor and say, open up your mind and heart. All right, uh, I want, I've got four or five things I want to share about the power of the table. The first one is, if we would do this, it's a biblical pattern to build your family around the table. Build your family life around the table. We live in a culture where many, many families' lives are built around the TV, not the table. Or, or, or there's like running through the house at different times and not sitting down. One of, we, we heard probably 20 years ago, both from our upbringing and experience, but from 20 years ago, a biblical theology of this. And it was the scripture that was shared with us was Psalm 128 verse 3. And it says this, your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home and your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table, as they sit around your table. And so that scripture has become a family scripture for Danielle and I over the years. The vigorous young olive plants, the vigorous part, very true in our home. And so we had to, we've had to make a decision, a conscious decision from the, our kids being a very young age that we would um, have the majority of our dinner meals and even breakfast meals together as much as we could. Even if it was only 10 minutes for breakfast in the morning shared together. But we made a value that we would build our family around the table, that, that we would build rituals around the table, that Monday nights would be dessert night in the Pierce house. My wife's a great cook and so we dessert night is Monday night. But we would ask questions that are consistent every Monday night. We ask one another uh, and anyone who's a guest at our house on that night, what's the highlight of your week been? What's the low light of your week been? It just, we, and we've uncovered some fascinating things, breakups, everything. We've got, we didn't know, but they came out when it, the low light came out. Was the low light of your week? Uh, what was the shocker of your week? And often my shockers get relived by everybody else as if they were theirs, but they weren't, but they just like paying out on me. Uh, there's a few recurring ones. One night I was so tired in family dinner, uh, I, I barely remember this, but I get reminded all the time, between dessert and, and the main course, I just went upstairs, I forgot we were having dinner, I went upstairs and had a shower. And they're all like, where's dad gone? It's dessert time. Uh, that's like 10 years ago, I've never lived that one down. So my shockers get quite a bit, but that's, there's rituals involved around the family dinner. We'll get, when kids' friends come over and, and we've got them in the house, it's not like, well, you hive off and do your own thing. No, you're going to be included. Be included in our family. Be included in our conversations. What was your highlight of the week? I've had uh, young people, young adults come and be part of our family dinner and afterwards just go, I can't believe 
what a normal family looks like. I've never sat up for dinner at, 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 with a family. I can't believe that's what it looks like. And it impacted them greatly. We make a, some basic rules. One of them is the mobile phones go on the bench before we sit down. And it's quite funny, it was as our kids were teenagers, particularly to watch a little bit of anxiety disorder kick in with phone separation because it's so far away. One of our sons had quite a habit of needing to go to the toilet with his phone for 15 minutes. And we, when we worked out what was going on, we're like, uh-uh, you're not taking that. So, so we, we, we separated the phone because we want face-to-face connection. We want heart-to-heart connection. Is it always awesome? No. Are there some awkward times? Yes. Are there some arguments? Sometimes. But overall, we've created a culture of building your family around the table. And it's one of the great memories of our life. And I encourage you with your grandkids, with, with, with even if you're share housing, create some rituals that will work together to build your life around the table, around the table. The num- number two, I want to uh, sh- share this thought with you. Practice the kindness of inclusion around the table. Practice the kindness of inclusion around the table. I I love this expression. Kindness is the new black. Kindness is the new black. Kindness is kindness is a, a forgotten art in our world. Kindness is uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit, that when God comes into our lives, that we would be kind one to another. I would love uh, that right across the Sunshine Coast, that our church is renowned for kindness. I would love not just, not just miracles. Kindness opens up people's hearts in a way that miracles don't even open up people's hearts. Acts of kindness, acts of, of love and care and serving with no strings attached are a powerful way of communicating the gospel. I love this last week, uh, during the week, our Shine team and our kids team uh, hosted 30-something kids who, who are uh, in grandparents' homes. They're growing up as, as um, th- their grandparents are the parents of these kids due to tragedy and all sorts of circumstances. And we opened up the church and games and all these sort of activities for 30 kids who who, who are just loving it and loving the love and care and attention. And I love the value of kindness into our community that we have as a church. But there's something about the table that creates a unique opportunity for kindness of inclusion. There's a story in the Bible of Mephibosheth, and he's, it's a story of King David. When he comes to become the king, his best friend was Jonathan. His best friend was killed in a battle, and he was the, the current king's son. And he made a promise to his best friend that when, when I become king, or as I live on, I'll look after your children. And if I die first, you look after my children. And so David, as the king, uh, makes the inquiry, does Mephibosheth still have any children left that I can show kindness to? And he, uh, not, not, does Jonathan have any children? He says, yes, there's one. His name's Mephibosheth. But he, at the age of five, when his dad was killed in battle, his, the servants ran and hid because they thought he'd be killed. And he, he was dropped. And at that moment, he became crippled in both of his feet. So he's, he's disheveled. He's unkept. Uh, he's not looked after. And he's an outcast. And he's in fear of his life. And they brought him to David, unable to walk, carried to David in fear of his life. And David showed kindness to him and he said, from now on, because of the promise I made to your father, you will be treated as one of my sons. You will eat at my table every day. Your servants will look after the the property that used to be owned to your grandfather. I'm giving that back to you and I will show kindness. 
I love that story, and I believe that that story is a story for you and I as believers to go, is there room at our table for someone who's a little bit crippled, physically, emotionally, relationally, someone who's isolated, someone who's cut off? Could we make room at our table for the isolated? Could we make room at our table for the solitary and for the lonely? Psalm says it beautifully like this, and I believe loneliness is the epidemic of our society. Psalm says it like this, that he places the solitary in families. And so often people are like, what's my call? What's my purpose? If may, I, I can't preach, I can't do this, or I'd like to. And God says, no, but you've got a table. And you could open up your table to just one. And if you opened up your table to just one, the kindness of that moment would bring uh, so much of God's love into their life because of inclusion. And it might be awkward and it might be unusual, but it's powerful to open up our home. The kindness of inclusion. I love, I saw last year uh, for David and Jess Morris, and I saw Jess here earlier at Christmas time, just putting a message out on social media. If you're alone at Christmas, come and join us so you don't spend Christmas alone. And I love people in our church having that spirit. I, I, I'm going to open up my heart. I talked to someone after the first service and they said, uh, yeah, we went down the other night and took burgers down into Happy Valley to share it with homeless people. The kindness of inclusion, the power of the table. I love that value. There's something that happens uniquely in the moment that, that, that it's quite fascinating and it's a spiritual truth and it can be hard for us to get our mind around, but there's something that happens and it's that Jesus is often revealed in the breaking of bread at the table. Jesus somehow, there's a uniqueness, the Bible tells us, when two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Somehow there's an aspect of Christ and who he is that's revealed at the table. It's not even revealed in incredible corporate worship. As much as I love incredible co corporate worship, it must be. The big thing must be complemented with the small thing. Otherwise, we, we'll, we'll get bent out of shape with a particular mindset. There must be room in our homes. And this is why today as we launch groups, there, there's something about groups that gather together in homes and gather with one another. Something happens and Jesus is revealed. You find the story of Jesus after he's crucified and there's two disciples who know him and they, 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 they've, they've heard about him and they've seen him and, and they're walking beside Jesus on a road to a place called Emmaus. And as they walk beside the, resurrect, the resurrected Lord, they don't recognize him. They don't know that it's Jesus, but Jesus tells them the truth about the scriptures and about the promise and the Messiah, and that he should be crucified, that he'll raise from the dead. They said their hearts were burning in this moment. And this is what it says. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Something happened at the table in the breaking of bread that revealed Jesus to people. And I believe as we make a, a concerted effort to open our homes, our tables, our lounge rooms. to the, Now, when it, we're talking the breaking of bread. There's, there's, it's not just its meals. 
But there's a sacredness to the meals when we reflect on what Christ has done through communion, the breaking of bread, the juice, the wine. That, that moment is a reflection and a remembering of what Jesus did at the cross. When you combine meals and communion and that spirit of sacredness together, Jesus is revealed. In fact, you know, something happens uh, not just in the, in the lives of saved people, but people who don't know Christ through hospitality. Jesus, when he went to Zacchaeus's place, it wasn't his preaching, it wasn't his miracles, it was the fact that he went and sat with him that something of Jesus re was revealed around a dinner table that caused him to be radically transformed. In a moment, it's the power of the table. Something happens as Jesus is revealed, and this is one of my favorite things that happens. Relationships are strengthened at the table. We build our families around the table. We practice the kindness of, of inclusion for those who are isolated around the table. Jesus is revealed at the table, but relationships are strengthened at the table. You see, I can create a really good image on social media of how together my life is, but then you come into my home and you sit around the table and you actually, you go behind the image and you start to get to know me in my home. And when we get to know one another in our homes and we, and we, we see the photos, I love going to people's homes and seeing all the photos. I love seeing that mullet from 25 years ago. I love, I love, I love seeing the books on the shelf. I, I, I love seeing the color schemes. I love, I love just the sense of kids and inclusion. It's not just a big church and little church. It's family and everyone together. I, I love that sense of what happens through conversation. And, and we play board games. And if you want to really know a person, nothing like playing a board game with a person or cards. And you, you get together and, and relationships are strengthened. And, and rather than a five-minute conversation over coffee in the foyer, someone comes into your home and, and you begin to just go a little bit deeper. You begin to get to know them. This happens in groups. This is why we're so committed as a church to groups. We're so committed to the two streams of Sunday services and small groups gathering together. Because when we get together and spend some more time and begin to open up, something will happen. In your, your group might not last for a lifetime, but you might make a friend who will last for a lifetime. You might go to that group once, but you click with a person. You, you connect with somebody. It might take you a few terms, but you just find some people, and there's a God connection with you. And out of that, you form a friendship. And out of that, I tell you, so much of what God wants to do for us in terms of freedom and healing comes through the friends that we make, our ability to open up and let people into our lives, and it happens in groups. I've heard this said, if you're the only one who knows your hurts and your temptations, then you're in trouble. If you're the only one who knows your hurts and temptations, you're in trouble. You'll, is another saying, you'll, you'll stay as sick as your secrets. So often it's the secrets of our past of what we've done or been done to us or the pain that we carry that causes a toxicity in our soul. And that's the level of sickness in our life will be how much we don't share or let in with others. And so there's a journey we go on of building connection and trust and to, to find some people who we can trust because when we trust them, we share some things, the light of Christ comes in and freedom begins to come in. We, relationships are strengthened at the table. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says this, Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal 
or a place to stay. Romans 12, 13, these are the commands of the New Testament. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Always be eager. So if we, if we go, all right, this is, this is God's pattern. This is God's intention. This is not, a, this is not something I can dodge. It's, it's a little bit like um, the importance of coming to church for a Christian. Practicing hospitality is the practice of a Christian. We've heard all those excuses earlier. I know you put them to the side. So now let's talk about some practical things to help us with those excuses of I'm too busy, I don't have enough money, I'm too tired, we don't have a nice house, I don't have a nice furniture. Uh, So often we can get into this thinking, when we buy that new lounge, then we'll have people over. When we get that new dining table, then when we move into that new house, it's just a little bit bigger. When when uh, when the kids are uh, just a little bit older or a little bit younger or whatever, when they've left home, then will be the, let me tell you, let me just tell you right now, there is no perfect time for sacred hospitality. There's no perfect time for it. So your life will never, you'll never be not tired enough. You'll never be not busy enough. You'll never, it'll just never, if you wait for perfect, what was that ad? Don't wait for, wait, don't say one day, that day will never come. Make a decision, I'm going to be a hospitable person. And then this is here, some, some practical keys at how it can work. All right. I don't, don't wait. Uh, I wrote this down. Don't wait uh, to be the perfect cook because it's not what's on the table that matters. It's it matters who's on the chairs. That's what matters. All right. So here we go. Here's a few little thoughts. I, I live a fair degree of my life tired because I'm busy and I travel and lots of different things. So tiredness can be quite an excuse. The way that we've found to deal with tiredness is this. It's just a plan in advance. Because if I wait for the feeling of I want to, it doesn't happen that often. But if I make a decision and plan in advance, and, and this is what Dan and I do, we over the different years at different times, we just go, here's the time slots that will work for us during the week. Saturday, we've got young kids playing sports. Saturday afternoon's a good time slot. Uh, in our current season where we don't have that, Saturday morning's a good time slot. Uh, for many of you, straight after church today would be a perfect, consistent slot to have someone at home for, your, for a meal. That's just a great time slot. So you kind of lock it in. Uh, uh, here's my challenge. Who could go on a streak? Who could go on a weekly I'm not talking about running around the church. Just, so just, some of you are just glazed over right there. You want me to what, pastor? <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. Who can have a hot streak of sacred hospitality? I wonder. I wonder who, how, how many people could have weekly hospitality and, and go for six weeks or eight weeks or ten weeks. You could do it. You could do it. Tell me when you get to six weeks on a hot streak. Just, just come and tell me. We've done six weeks of someone in our home, a hot streak. Uh, okay, so if you plan in advance, other times uh, for us, we've just like, oh, Sunday night's a great night to have someone over, or Sunday lunch is a great time, or for me, I, I love having breakfast with people on a, a, on a mid-week a morning, so that's not so much in my home, but it's just a hospitality culture. Uh, over the years, we've said, hey, uh, family dinner, once a month, let's, uh, Monday night, let's invite some of the kids' friends into our home. One, one year, we did a Tuesday night, and we said, let's have three young adults every Tuesday night in our house for a term, and just we just made a decision. This is the kind of people we want to become. So let's plan it. Let's work it. And then this is what happens. If we plan it in advance and we invite certain people to come, then so often I'm like, man, if I was making the decision now, I don't feel like it. But because I pre-made the decision, I'm now committed to get happy. 
So now I'm going to have to get happy. Now I'm going to have to get social. Plus bonuses, now I'm going to have to clean up the house a little bit. So that's a little added bonus. So, so now we're going to have to tidy some things up. And, and, then, and then when people come, it's like, that was awesome. They go and it's like, oh, that was energizing. That was fun. I really enjoyed that. I wouldn't have done it if I was based on feelings today, but because it was pre-planned, it worked. Now, some of the people in our church who come from a culture where people drop into your house unannounced all the time. That was your, your upbringing and culture. I talked to someone after the first service and said in our African culture, that people would just rock up unannounced. In our Western culture, we've built big fences and gates to stop that happening. But it's not a bad idea. Come on, so plan it in advance. That's the first thing. The second thing, do it tired. The third thing is combine people together. Don't just have your set group of friends who you always meet with because the whole idea of hospitality is hospitality to strangers. So just get some friends that you've got and get some potential new friends and combine them together for a meal. Okay, that's just so combine people. That's, that's the next one. Okay, here's a big one for those of you like, I don't have the time to cook or the budget to cook for lots of people. It's called potluck. Hey, why don't you come over for dinner? and get three or four different groups of people coming to dinner, and we all bring something, and we all combine together. It's like, well, I, I'm just, I had to prepare for me anyway, so if you had to prepare for you and we get together, hello, potluck's awesome. For years before our group that we would run in our home, we would have a different person who was coming to that group over for a dinner before the group started. So it's like, okay, we know then once every two weeks we're going to have someone for dinner before that group starts. Just became, and then, then they help get ready for people to come to our home for a group. Uh, now we just tend to have a big potluck and all the kids come and everyone brings food and we start at six o'clock and it's awesome. The last thing is, okay, don't, don't worry about going low key. You don't have to have people over for full meals. Maybe it's just a cup of tea. A cup of tea and some scones, go back to the 50s. A cup of tea and some biscuits that you bought, wine and cheese, dessert, come over for dessert. And, just, and suddenly the pressure to become master chef leaves the building and you're just like, it's, it's about the fellowship and the food's a bonus. Now some of you got the gift of hospitality, go for it. Just go for it. Blow people away with the love on a plate, okay. But others of, of us who don't have that, just dial it down and be okay. I think, the, I think it's in Proverbs, it says better is it's, it's like dry biscuits with some friends and love than, than a hot roast with, with fighting. Just, that's my paraphrase. So that's cool. Just get together. Be in the room. Love one another. So I want to ask this morning. It's a, it's a biblical challenge for us. Let's be the church where you can't come without being invited back to two or three people's home for lunch. Let's be that church or for a meal that week. Let's be, let's be that. Let me just do a quick little survey. I didn't do this in the first, but let me do a quick little survey. How many people in this room this year have had someone in your home for a meal that you'd never had before this year? Just give me, put your hands up. It's pretty good. About 50%. Wouldn't it be cool if that was 100%? What about in the last month? How many in this church have had someone you don't know in your home for a meal in the last month? Give me a wave. Okay, we're, we're dwindling down. Why don't you just make a commitment today that I'm going to be given to hospitality? 
and set yourself a goal. Maybe it's once a month. Danny Allen, I've got some goals for both our church, but particularly this year for people who aren't from church to be included in our home. And it's just, it's good for us to, to set goals. Why do you set a goal? Some of you are going to go on a hot streak weekly for six weeks. Come on. Some of you once a month is what you can commit to. Some of you it's fortnightly. Can we close our eyes right now? Holy Spirit, I thank you today that Jesus has revealed in the breaking of bread that there's a power in the kindness of inclusion for isolated people who wouldn't normally be included. Help us to include those people. Help us to be kind and generous. Open up our hearts and our homes. If God's speaking to you this morning, or even, even you're like, oh, I don't know if God's speaking, but if you're just challenged today to be more hospitable, or you are really already hospitable, but you're just going to strengthen it, I want you just to raise your hand up right now and say, that I'm challenged today to be more hospitable. Lots of hands going up. Fantastic. Fantastic. Given to hospitality. Help us, Father, represent you and your love through the power of the table. Well, our eyes are closed right now. One of the things I talked about is that Jesus is often revealed in the table. And so often people don't know who Jesus is. They've heard of him as a historical figure. Heard of him as someone we celebrate at Christmas, someone we celebrate at Easter, but don't really know him personally. This morning, if you're here in this room or you're watching online and you've never connected with Jesus Christ, then I'd love to lead you in a prayer in just a few moments where you invite God into your heart and into your life. See, you are created for relationship with, with God. You're created for our Father in heaven to pour His love into your heart, to pour His peace into your heart, for Him to walk with you and guide you every step of your life. You're created to be in relationship with Him. And until that happens, there'll be a, a hollowness in your heart, an emptiness. You'll try different things to fill that void but nothing else will fill the void except that relationship with your heavenly Father. And when Jesus came, He came so that He could pay for the price of our sin because it's our sin that separates us from God. So when He died on a cross, He paid for the price of our sin so that if we look to Him with faith in our hearts, we'd be forgiven and then we could be restored to relationship with God. So this morning, if you're not in a relationship with God, you don't have a peace in your heart from Him, then I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And simply all you have to do is surrender your life over to God. Say, God, I've had the reins, the, the control of my life. I'm giving it over to you. And I put my faith in Jesus. If you'll do that, something powerful will happen today. For those of you watching online, for every person in this room, something powerful could happen if you surrender your life to God today. The void will be filled. Peace will flood your heart. Purpose will come into your life. You might have once made a decision to follow Christ, 
at kids' church, Sunday school, youth group, or church, or something. But you know you've drifted away from God, and today it's, it's time to get right with God. If that's you in a moment, I love you to raise your hand when I ask people to raise their hand and say, John, I need to come back to God to get right with Him because I've drifted away from Him. I need to reestablish Jesus first in my life. You might not have stopped believing in Him, but He's just not first, and you need to recommit your life. Or maybe you just don't have a certainty or an assurance about where you're going to spend eternity. I would love to pray for you and include you in this prayer. So you can be confident. So right now, right across this room, every person with their eyes closed, if you're saying, John, today I want to begin a relationship with God. I want to get right with God. I want to come back to Him or I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now and say, John, that's me. I want to get right with God. Thanks, man. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? Would you just raise your hand up high if that's you as well? So that's me today. I want to get right with God. I want to reconnect with Him today. Wherever you are, if that's you, that's your prayer. Today is the day to connect with Christ, to get right with Him. I have a sense that God's tugging on someone else's heart right now. That this is your moment to reconnect with Him. This is your moment to get right with Him. It'll take a, a courageous moment, a courageous decision, but if you'll do it, God will reach you right where you are. You might be feeling like, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can change enough to really follow through with this. Here's the thing. When you are, invite Christ in, He changes you. You become, the Bible says, literally a new creation. And suddenly, you're not just the old you trying to be a better you. You become a brand new you with God's Spirit transforming you from the inside. So if that's you and you know today I need to surrender to God, would you raise your hand as well and say, that's me too? Would you include me in this prayer, Pastor? Would you include me right now? Raise it up real high and I'm going to include you. If you're watching online, this is for you right now. Wherever you are, today's your day to get right with God. All right, fantastic. Keep your eyes closed. Can we all pray together? Those of you who raised your hand, this is your moment. Pray this from your heart to God. Join together, church. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross in my place for my sin. I'm sorry for living my way. I'm turning to you today to live your way, to follow Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and your power. I thank you today. I'm forgiven, born again, going to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a great clap. God bless you. Thank you. Well done. Someone's going to, uh, for those who raised your hand, someone's going to come and talk to you later and just help you build a relationship with God. Fantastic.